Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Uh, we're going to cover Samuel, Saul, and David. You, you can't hardly talk about David without talking about Samuel, or you can't hardly talk about David without talking about Saul, or Saul about Samuel, Samuel about Saul, Saul about David, right? You can mix it all up. They're so intertwined uh, with one another that it's, it's hard to have the discussion without recognizing the three of them. Uh, the book of uh, uh, Chronicles uh, deals a lot with David. Uh, clearly, the book of Kings has a lot to do with David, and then also 2 Samuel. We see at the end of 1 Samuel towards 2 Samuel, all of these things. So it really does cover a large amount uh, of, of issues within the Old Testament. David is, without a doubt, one of the most centrally important figures in the Old Testament. There's no question about that. Um, how many people are named David. You know, come on now, give me a break. Y'all like, what? Seriously, get it up there. I mean, you know, come on, there we go. See, I mean, people are named David. My dad's named David. David's a popular name. Why? Because of King David. Look, when we talk about an individual and we talk about their heart, what we just sang is the idea of somebody who has a heart after God. And I think what you're going to see, if you want to think about it in an overall context, is Samuel was very single-minded in his purpose. We talk about a heart of an individual. You talk about what it is that God wants to do in and through somebody and how we are to follow the Lord. What you're going to see in Samuel is a single-minded focus. Man, that guy was locked in on the Lord. With Saul, what you're going to see is somebody who's very wayward. Very wayward. I believe Saul is in heaven. I believe that Saul made a lot of mistakes. Samuel told Saul when the witch of Endor called him up and Samuel was speaking to Saul and he told him, tomorrow you're going to die and your sons are going to die and you're going to be with me tomorrow. That's an interesting moment. So what we have is a picture of somebody who's a believer but really was wayward. Man, they were all over the place. Saul's just everywhere, seems to have the right motives, and then goes off track. And with David, what do we have? We have a man after God's own heart. We're going to cover part of David this morning. Next week, we're going to finish with David, and then we're going to get into Solomon and the temple. The Lord desires servants whose hearts are fully yielded to him. You know, that's the reality of this. Folks, I I can't encourage you enough, and, and myself in this, God wants us to be yielded to him absolutely, wholly, and totally. He does not want competition. He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God because he knows what's best for us. He's an all-consuming fire. If there's anything in your life that is being set up to take away from your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, if you're truly God's son, his daughter, he will step into that and begin to discipline you in a way that will hopefully, Lord willing, draw you back to himself. He is not satisfied with the status quo. He is not satisfied with just getting by. The Lord wants servants who are holy absolutely yielded from their hearts to him. 
We sang it. You, you, you can dance in front of the Lord, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You're going to follow the Lord, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You're going to do things that people look at and say, what are you doing that for? That's nuts. And you're going to go, because the Lord led me in it. Now, folks, if it's not out of the word of God, then it's not from the Lord. Let's get that straight. The Lord's will and the Lord's word never contradict. Never contradict. Understand that. So we better be people of the word if we're going to say we're people who are following after the will of the Lord. God wants our hearts yielded to him. Samuel's had a single-minded heart. What a unique upbringing this guy had, huh? You remember the story? Hannah, Elkanah, the husband, Hannah, the wife. Eli was the priest at this time. Eli's sons were Hophni and Phinehas. They were wicked little guys uh, that Eli didn't control. Samuel's the last of the judges. They come into this moment where really at the end of the judges, and now we're at the beginning of the kings, but Samuel's the one who anoints Saul. Samuel's the one who tells Saul that the kingdom has been ripped from his hands, and Samuel's the one who anoints David. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah's wife and to all her sons and her daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. She wasn't able to have children. So Hannah goes during this time, during this season of sacrifice, and she begins to pour out her heart to God. So much so, she must have been in tears. She must have been talking out loud. She may have even seemed incoherent that Eli, the priest, happens to see her and thinks that she's drunk. (laughs) And he actually rebukes her for it. And she turns to him and says, no, 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 I'm just distraught. And it's beautiful because Eli recognizes that he had been wrong. And he says to Hannah, may the Lord grant you what it is that you're requesting. Well, that, that did it, right? Hannah goes home, she conceives, and she's promised that if the Lord allows her to have a child, that she will dedicate this child to the Lord for all his days. So Samuel, after he's weaned, is given to the Lord, given over to Eli and the priests to be raised at the temple in order to serve the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and there's this special phrase. A word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Well, why do you think? We're at the end of the Judges. It hasn't gotten any better. It's gotten progressively worse. You read the last part of Judges, and you read about the Levite priests, and you read about all this. It's nuts. These people, I mean, they have literally forsaken the Lord. They are not walking with God. And even though Eli is judging Israel, his own sons reveal the heartbeat behind the worship. It is not a pretty picture. The Lord's word was rare in those days. In chapter 3, we get this wonderful picture of little Samuel. And I like this. His mom used to make him this little robe and bring it to him. Can you imagine I can imagine how proud that little dude was. Three years old, here comes his mom, gives him the robe. He's walking around, right? He's there to serve the Lord. He goes to bed, and he hears a voice calling out to him, Samuel, Samuel. And he thinks it's Eli. What does he do? He goes running to, running to Eli. Say, I'm here, I'm here. 
Eli goes, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, man. Stop bothering me. It happens again. It happens a third time. Sam, uh, Eli realizes it's the Lord speaking to Samuel. He says, the next time you hear this, the next time you hear the voice, say this. And folks, all of us ought to have this ingrained into our minds. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What a beautiful truth at the very, very young age as Samuel is willing to say, what, what, what do you have to say? Now, the Lord doesn't speak to us audibly today, folks, but it is through the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God in order to lead us and to guide us. And we ought to go to the word of God and we ought to be in the word of God so that our minds are being renewed so that the Holy Spirit is using the word of God in our hearts and in our lives in the midst of all the things that are taking place. And our attitude is always, Lord, what, what would you say in this? Where do you want to lead in this? Where do you want to guide in this? We're listening. I'm listening. What would you have for me? In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 19 and following, it says this, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. Everything that Samuel said that was from the Lord, the Lord accomplished it, because the Lord had told Samuel what to say. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. When the Lord came to Samuel, he told him, I want you to go and tell Eli, and, and it was some difficult things. It was all the things that Eli had not done. It was how Eli was not going to continue on as priest, etc. And Samuel was a little afraid to do it. And Eli really said to him, in effect, you, you got to tell me this or else in a, you're, never, you're not going to minister. And so Samuel, as a little boy, stood up, did what he was supposed to do, followed the Lord in it. And as a result... We see that Samuel grows and the Lord uses him and everybody recognizes that he is a prophet of the Lord. In chapter 4, there's an interesting story about Israel defeating, being defeated by the Philistines. Now understand, and we saw this in Joshua and we saw this in Judges, the Israelites were supposed to come in. They were supposed to drive out all the inhabitants of the lands. The Philistines should have been dealt with long, long, long ago. But they had been allowed to grow. They had been allowed to get to the point where they were actually placing Israel under bondage. We saw that with Samson. We see this over and over again. They go into a battle. 30,000 Israelites are killed, including Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And here's the issue. The ark of the Lord has been captured. <laughs> now, I don't mean to laugh, but... I wonder what the Philistines were thinking when they captured this ark. Because they had no idea what they were about to get into. Amen? I mean, they're not worshiping uh, the one true God who, who's not made with stone and wood. Right? Their God, Dagon, is made out of stone and wood. It's been carved, been fashioned. And we know, New Testament, looking back, we know they were actually worshiping uh, demons. Now they've got to deal with the one true living God. And they get this ark and they bring it in. And they put it into their temple with their God Dagon. And you think the Lord's going to stand for this? Folks, come on. The Lord is the Lord. There are no other gods above the Lord. So what happens? 
They come in in the morning, they find Dagon fallen flat on its face. They come back later, they set it back, they come back later, and then what happens? Dagon's head's cut off, and his hands are cut off. Now, all of a sudden, tumors begin to break out with all these particular individuals. People begin to die. Evidently, there was a a plague of mice. And so (laughs) the land's being devastated, all because they got the Ark of the Covenant in their temple, and they've put it before their god, Dagon. Well, they get smart. They decide, well, we don't want it here any longer. We're going to send it to Gath, another Philistine city. Well, what happens in Gath? The same thing. Tumors begin to break out. Plagues begin to break out. They go, oh my goodness, don't, don't keep it in Gath. They send it to Ekron. And the Ekronites, by this time, had a little bit of sense. They said, what? You're bringing it here? You've got to be serious. Keep this thing out of here. We don't want it here. What are we supposed to do? So here's the solution they came up with. The tumors must have been horrifically ugly because they were able to see them. They fashioned gold tumors. What? They fashioned gold tumors. Then they fashioned gold mice. They put it into a box. They took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it into a cart. They took two milk cows that had never pulled a cart that still had their calves, hadn't been weaned yet. They put the milk uh, cows in charge, in effect, of taking this cart. They put the Ark of the Covenant. They put this offering in it. And then they said this. If these cows take the ark back to Israel, then we know that all that has happened is because of the God of Israel. If these cows take it back to their calves, well, then we know this all just happened by chance. Well, hello. What do you think happens? In 1 Samuel 6, 7 through 8, we can read about that. And they say this in verse 8, Take the ark of the Lord, place it on the cart, put the articles of gold, which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side, then send it away that it may go. So the ark is brought to Israel. Now, folks, don't, don't miss this. God is a holy God. He has given them specific instructions of how to handle the ark, what to do with it, what not to do with it. The Levites were supposed to carry it on their shoulders with poles. It was holy. God is holy. And what he says is important. Don't miss the fact that when they brought this ark back into Israel, 50,000 Israelis died because they were trying to look into the ark. Indescribable. You think about God and you think about his holiness. Folks, when we, when we start dealing with sin, when we start dealing with following God, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Thank God we're under grace, but we are under grace. That doesn't mean we go live whatever way we want. It means that we have the power of God in us in order to walk in the way that God has said to walk. It's not based on us. It's not based on our strength. It's based on God in us through us. But folks, we are without excuse because we have the Holy Spirit within us who will lead us and guide us. Folks, there's a right way to follow God. There's a wrong way to follow God. And we better be careful to know what's the difference. Samuel is single-minded in his purpose. When this all takes place, he gathers the people and he prays for them and he tells them to get rid of the idols to return to the Lord with all their hearts and to serve the Lord. Wow. Well, we see Samuel 
and his single-mindedness as well with regard to Saul. The people in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 and 7 have asked for a king. Boy, does it upset Samuel. Samuel said, Give unto Samuel, pray to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice in regard to all that they see you. For not rejected, but they have rejected me. More about having a king, but the people want one anyway. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, Saul becomes a head above the personality the Lord. They want in a king. And I love 12, verses 22 and following. Samuel says, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. This is in the midst of Israel rejecting the Lord as their king, and Samuel being told by the Lord, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, anoint Saul. And Saul becomes their king. And Samuel's response in this is, I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Continues to teach them, continues to warn them, admonish them, present to them the word of God. So Saul becomes king. He's anointed, and part of it's because of his person. Several overall sense that I think are in all much that we can in perhaps later of all. What Samuel chapter picture here against where was fighting against the Philistines at a place called Michmash. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, it says, The Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. Now listen to how many Philistine chariots there were. 30,000 chariots. Do you remember just a couple weeks ago we talked about 900 chariots scaring the tribe of Judah? See, when we don't follow God, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. It intensifies. It increases. It doesn't go away. Putting things under the carpet doesn't make the smoke go away, folks. 30,000 chariots now, 6,000 horsemen, people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance, and they camp and camped in Michmash east of Beth Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. Does it remind you of Gideon with the Midianites? They're fearful. Instead of walking in the strength and the power of God, they're fearful. Now, folks, if we put ourselves in that position, I guarantee uh, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and who knows how many warriors coming against us, that's a serious issue. That's a serious issue. Don't just look down on it and look at the numbers and go, ah, it's no big deal. Put yourself in their shoes. Your family and their lives are at stake. Well, what's supposed to happen? Saul gathers some warriors to himself, and he's supposed to wait for Samuel in order to do the sacrifice. Does he wait? After seven days, Samuel's supposed to show up, and what happens? Samuel's nowhere to be seen. The warriors start to leave because they're fearful So Saul does what? He takes things into his own hands and he does the sacrifice. And immediately after, here comes Samuel. Where were you, man? You should have come 10 minutes ago, whatever. And Samuel says, what you've done 
is evil in the sight of the Lord because you didn't obey him. And as a result, somebody else is going to be king in your place. Your line will not continue on. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. The Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Wow. You don't think the Lord's serious when he says something and when he says to do something or when he says not to do something? He's serious about it. What is he looking for? He's looking for servants whose hearts are absolutely fully yielded to the Lord, no matter what the circumstance may be. Their eyes are focused on him. And no matter what the situation, they're willing to wait upon the Lord, to trust the Lord, to give the Lord his due, to make sure that the Lord is first in everything. Another story that brings out Saul's waywardness and his Heart that was constantly back and forth is in chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. The Amalekites and King Agag. Don't name your kid that, please. Samuel said, as the Lord has much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Now listen to this statement. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, why did this happen? Because they were supposed to absolutely destroy the Amalekites. And they went into battle, and they defeated the enemy. God gave them the victory. But what did they do? They kept the best of the land. And Saul kept King Agag alive. So when Samuel shows up, he hears the sheep and the oxen, the livestock. And he says to Saul, what is this that I hear? You were supposed to destroy everything. And Saul says, oh, the people kept it for themselves, but I have destroyed the Amalekites. Oh, by the way, there's King Agag. And so Samuel says, you, you're not going to be the king. You're going to have it torn. What happens is that Samuel was supposed to give an offering to the Lord with regard to the victory. But Samuel turns to walk away because he's not going to do it. Saul reaches out and grabs Samuel's tunic and tears it. And Samuel uses that as an illustration of what's going to happen to Saul. Your kingdom will be torn from you. And it will be given to one who has a heart to follow God. Well, Saul continues to be king, continues to war. And not all that Saul did was bad or wrong. Saul fought against the Philistines, had many victories, fought against the enemies on all sides of Israel, and God used him to have many victories. The problem was is that Saul's heart was not fully yielded to the Lord. You can see this in his jealousy of David. Because as we get into the story of David, Saul now is no longer going to be king. And Samuel is told to go down to Jesse because there's going to be one there for him to anoint. And so he does. He goes down to Bethlehem, which is near to Jerusalem. He calls for Jesse and his sons. His sons appear before Samuel. And, and Samuel 
is looking at these boys, and they must have been really strong. They must have been great-looking guys. And he, he keeps thinking, surely this is the one. This, and the Lord says, no, 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 that's not the one. They get to the very last one that's there, and Samuel's obviously confused, and he says, you got any more? Because none of these guys are it. David was so low on the totem pole, they didn't even think it was important for him to come there to meet Samuel the prophet. Think about that. He's out tending the sheep. And so Jesse says, well, I got one more. He's out tending the sheep. I'll bring him in. Samuel says, well, wait. And in comes David. (laughs) And the Lord prompts Samuel, and Samuel anoints him to be the next king of Israel. I love 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. He's speaking of the sons that have been presented to him that the Lord had not chosen. And then he says this, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow. The heart. The heart. Folks, how are we walking with God? How are we yielded to the Lord? What's our heart condition? Because our heart condition is everything. Our activity flows out of our heart condition. Our words flow out of our heart condition. What we do, what we say, our attitudes all flow out of our heart condition. Samuel anoints David, and the Spirit of the Lord says, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And at the same time, the Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. David becomes a harp player for Saul. Saul goes through fits where there's a a presence of some sort that creates and causes him uh, difficulty. He goes into fits of rage. So they say, bring in a harpist. Bring in somebody that can help soothe him. And they choose David. He must have been some harpist. Everybody knew about him. He ultimately becomes a shield bearer for Saul as he grows and as he gets older. One of the greatest stories probably in the Bible, one of the greatest stories from the Bible that is known throughout this entire world is what? The story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Goliath... Quite an interesting guy. Vulgar, cursed the God of heaven, mocked Israel, which was in a covenant relationship the same as mocking God. He's probably one of the Anakim who dwelled with the Philistines after being defeated in the hill country. Remember Caleb went up and defeated some of the the Anakim and they went down into these coastal areas near where the Philistines were and they probably resided in Gath and some of these other areas in in, uh, the Philistine territory. So he's probably one of the relatives of the Anakim who were uh, considerably large. They were fearful to behold, no doubt. He was probably about 10 feet tall. Can you imagine? He wore armor that weighed 125 pounds. <laughs> I mean, the head of his spear was about 15 pounds. The guy's a monster, folks. David's this little shepherd guy. We don't really know exactly how old he was at this point. We know that from here on out, he goes to war against the Philistines. 
And part of uh, Saul's problem is that the people begin to chant because of the victories that God gives David is David's killed his uh, ten thousands, Saul's killed his thousands. (laughs) So Saul, being some sort of narcissistic, insecure guy in and of himself, that really bothers him. I think it's interesting what is recorded in 1 Samuel 17, 33. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. While he has been a warrior from his youth, he's skilled, he's practiced, he's probably killed who knows how many. David, you're just, you're just a shepherd guy, you're a youth, you don't even really know how to carry a sword. What's David's response? Hey, I killed the bear, I killed the lion. And more important than that, God is with me. And the Lord will give me the victory in the battle. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. David must have been a pretty convincing guy. Because Saul... Who knows what his thought process is? Why isn't Saul going into the battle? Why isn't he sending some of his mighty men into the battle? He's sending a shepherd boy into the battle. I think that's a little screwed up. If one of our generals did that. In verses 45 through 47, David's approaching the Philistine. The Philistine mocks him. Laughs at him. David says to him, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Folks, do you understand? This is why Israel was called to be a people. Not only that the Messiah would come through them, but that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through them. That they would know that there's a God. They're running. They're hiding. They're in caves. They don't want to have anything to do with the Philistines. They are allowing this guy to mock and taunt the very armies of God. David has the right attitude. God is going to deal with you, buddy. (laughs) I'm going to kill you today. Man. He says this, that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. And folks, catch that. Don't miss that. Not only are the Philistines going to know, not only are all the other peoples are going to know, but hey, Saul, you and all this army is going to know too. That it's not by our might or our power. Why? For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. What Goliath you facing today? What's before you that somehow you think God's not big enough to deal with it? You can't figure a way out of it. You can't figure what's going to happen. And so you're in fear stepping back and you're not doing anything. You're not listening to the Lord. Your fear has so consumed you that rather trusting the Lord, walking with him, you have taken a step back. Folks, we got all kinds of Goliaths, don't we? 
We got a whole society that is raging against Christianity, true Christianity. I'm not talking about this mamby-pamby nonsense that people want to spew as if it's truly Christian. I'm talking about true Bible-believing, trusting in God, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation kind of Christianity. And everybody seems to be coming against. (laughs) And what are we going to do? We're going to be like this army that steps back and allows them to continue to taunt? Or are we going to say, hey, the battle's the Lord. And in love and in kindness, we're going to continue to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that changes anything. What are we going to do? What are we going to choose to do? We're going to point the finger at everybody else and say, oh, Right. It's, it's, it's your job over here. You all don't have to worry. No, you just stay comfortable and you just keep doing what you want to do. But they're the ones that are supposed to do this. I don't have the spiritual gifting for it. I have already served the Lord all these years. We'll let the younger generations take care of this or whatever the excuse may be. Folks, we're in a day, all hands on deck. All hands on deck. And we are here to follow God and do what he wants us to do. And we are to do it in his strength, in his power, and in his way. And we are not to step back from it in fear. We're not to shrink away in fear. We're to walk with God in the midst of it. We may have a Goliath in front of us. The question is, what does God want to do? And the Lord already has won the victory. Are we willing to trust him in the midst of it? Or we just go back to our homes, sit comfortably on our couches, listen to the news, and be all appalled. Oh, my goodness. What's happening to America? Folks, we have an opportunity to be a part of it. Let's follow God and trust him to lead us in it. And let's trust God with the results, because that's what this is all about. I, I, and I'm really out of time. <laughs> but let me just encourage you in this, because this is what hit me more than anything else. There's all kinds of ideas of how to follow God. There's all kinds of, of fingers that I, that I hear, not just here, everywhere. And, I, and I'm not saying that I haven't been a part of it, too. We're all a part of this, folks. We're the family of God. If we truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we truly believe in what God wants us to do, then why is it that we're stepping back? Why is it that we're shrinking back? How is it possible that when people ask us for the hope that they see in us or that we proclaim to have, that we are silent in the midst of it? We cannot be silent, folks. It's as the Lord leads. It's as God guides. It's in his kindness. We're not talking about uh, being jerks. But when we see things that are sinful, that are not right, we trust God in the midst of it. And if we're fearful, we confess it to him. We agree with him in it. But we recognize that we're strong in his strength. We're strong in his strength. Folks, we have an opportunity now more than ever to walk with God in such a way that God in and through us will be seen for who he truly is. The question is, when we're faced with these obstacles, when we're faced with opposition, What are we going to do with it? My prayer is that we'd be like David. Somebody who had a heart to walk with God, to follow him, who didn't worry about what everybody else said. And folks, don't miss this. Because David came under attack from his own family. He came under attack by even Saul putting doubt in his mind. You're just a shepherd. 
Who are you? Saul tried to do it the way that he thought it ought to be done. He tried to clothe him with his own armor. And David goes, I can't can't even fit into this stuff. Just give me my slingshot. It's good enough. See what I'm saying? Sometimes we got to be careful about what we're saying to one another and how we're being negative. We, We need to make sure that we're encouraging one another and saying this is where God's going. Let's go. Let's go. Let's trust him in it. We have got some amazing opportunities before us, not only within our culture, but as a church body. How are we going to follow God in it? We're going to sit back, fold our hands, and go, oh, no, oh, no. Are we going to be like Caleb? Say, give me that mountain. We're going to be like David, who said, God's already got the victory. We'll take care of this heathen, so that the Lord would be proclaimed and glorified through all the earth. We have a single-minded heart like Samuel who said, no matter what you do, I'm going to keep teaching you the word. Or are we going to be like Saul who is wayward, who did things for the appearance of stuff, who only wanted Samuel to come and do the sacrifice so that he wouldn't be embarrassed or shamed in front of the elders and the people of Israel? Are we going to trust the Lord even when it seems like it's the last hour and we don't know what's going on? And God, where are you? Are you going to show up? Are we going to continue to trust him? Are we going to be like David when we're being taunted and we're going to be told that everything we believe in is nuts and nonsense? And are we going to say, God is God and we believe him and that settles it. We will not be swayed. We will not be moved in this. What are we going to do? Well, we'll finish David next week. <laughs> That's a first, right? I hadn't gotten through everything that I wanted, but amen. Praise God, right? Folks, I love you. I'm not shouting at you. I'm passionate about this. And I'm concerned because I see a lot of different things. I see it in my own flesh. And so I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody else this morning. Folks, The kingdom of God is worth our lives. The kingdom of God is worth our lives. Jesus Christ died for us, and the least we can do is kneel and bow and say, my life is yours, Lord, whatever you choose to do, for whatever reasons you want to do it, and I'll trust you with the fruit out of it. But if we're not willing to follow the Lord with all of our hearts, then I'm fearful what the fruit of that will be. Because we have an opportunity now. There's so many people that are without hope, Everywhere I go, restaurants, everywhere I go, people's stories just rip me to shreds. What they're going through, the divorce, the family breakup, the the meltdown of society, it's indescribable. Stephanie was telling somebody at a store the other day about her dad because they knew about the situation. Somehow they asked, and so the Lord's been working on her to be bold, and she started telling them, and this guy's response was, well, I'll cross my fingers for him. Oh, Lord, help me. Cross your finger, brother, that that ain't going to help. I'll just tell you right now. But unfortunately, that seems to be the mindset. Superstitious, it's religious, it's what we do for God. The nuns are growing, and I don't mean N-U-N-S, I mean N-O-N-E-S. People that absolutely never come to church at all whatsoever, not even for Easter or Christmas. Over the last seven years, I believe the numbers have doubled We have opportunity everywhere. There are Goliaths everywhere. There are Anakim and Rephaim everywhere. We have God, and we can stand in that. Amen?
Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.